Oh, hi again, everyone. I'm Mark Ernay. This is Play by Play with me. I am the me, Mark Ernay, the initials. The Play by Play is provided by my guest, and today's guest, it is Volume 1, Episode 9, is one of my Play by Play partners, the original voice of the New York, nay, Rockland Boulders. It's Seth Cantor. Hey, Seth, how you doing? How's the family in this uh, very uh, strange time in the world? Mark, we're all doing well. I hope it's the same for you. So I spent some money I didn't have on a studio that I created in my garage. I had this little nook, this little square nook, and I spent some money on a microphone, laptop, digital editing software. I have my two monitors in front of me so I can record and have the breaking news. And I have my cinder block wall that looks like Shawshank pictures of the baby, pictures of my wife, movies I've enjoyed over the years. I've tried to make it a very user-friendly spot. And that's how I'm making the best of my radio career right now. And for the family, it's been kind of tough to keep a two-year-old occupied over the last 50 or so days. But that's where I tip my cap to my wife, the teacher. She's an ESL teacher here in Dumont, New Jersey. And in addition to working with her kids, she's done a fantastic job of keeping our little Ella occupied. And I chip in where I can. So we're making the best of it. I appreciate it. All right. So you've called it the dungeon in Dumont before. Um, I need to know, because we can't see it, obviously, um, which movie poster has the most prominent position? Over my left shoulder, planes, trains, and automobiles. You know, everybody has a list. Everybody has a list of five or seven movies, Mark, that when you're flipping the channels, you stop and you watch it. And Planes, Trains, and Automobiles is one of my favorite movies. Love John Candy. Big, great outdoors fan. Uncle Buck and Planes, Trains, and Automobiles, that would be the one that's over my left shoulder that I'm looking at right now. Okay, uh, before we get to the fun stuff, let's talk about the serious side of things. And obviously, we are all under quarantine for the time being. This would be right around the time that uh, the boulders would be starting spring training. But the season will be delayed. First year in the Frontier League after uh, nine seasons in the Can-Am. What are you missing the most aside from prepping for the upcoming baseball season? Well, I'll say this, it definitely feels weird. I mean, I should be talking to our printer now to get signs up in the ballpark. I'm also the team's vice president of business development. When I joined the Boulders years ago, they didn't want somebody that would just call the games. They wanted somebody who could sell. And I had a sales background with the former CBS radio, which is now Edercom, which I also do on-air work for. I think I just miss the activity and the energy level of ramping up for a season. I'm not used to sitting here at 12.22 p.m middle of the week and not having much to do, although I was thrilled when you reached out to me because I love talking with you at any given point. So I'm used to doing so much at this time of year, the adjustment of not having much to do and finding things to occupy myself with. I think that's been the biggest challenge more than anything else. Yeah, so how are you passing the time aside from entertaining a two-year-old and trying to keep your teacher wife (laughs) sane? Well, I am still getting two shifts per week for Sirius, which has been great. We're doing reports, albeit the reports are recorded reports right now, so that's keeping me busy. You know, we're having weekly staff meetings with the Boulders. We do expect to have baseball. We're doing everything in our can, everything we can, everything in our power to make sure that there is some form of baseball this year. You know, there have been a lot of options kicked around by the Frontier League right now, but it's kind of tough, Mark, because we're all watching and waiting. And I think once Major League Baseball figures out what they're going to do, it. I say figures out in a way where it's not to criticize them, but basically the world is changing on a daily basis. I think we'll kind of take our cues and roll from there. But 
I've created my own podcast, which I know you'll be joining with one of my best friends who I've known for about 35 years. His name is Jason Zabransky. So I have serious, I have the podcast and I'm just trying to keep myself occupied by finding projects I can do for the boulders when the season does get up and running again, because if I'm a betting man, I do think there would be baseball in some form this year. So I just want to make sure that when the switch goes on, we're ready, willing, and able to get the season going in a quick fashion. Well, you mentioned the major leagues and one of the latest uh, rumors we've heard is that the games would start maybe late June, early July in Florida, Arizona, and perhaps Texas as well with the 30 teams in three 10-team divisions, so the Yankees and Mets, at least for this year, would be in the in the same division, the East, with uh, many of their division rivals uh, when there's an American and National League delineation, but the Pirates would be back in the East, uh, something they haven't been a part of for a while now. Um, in general, what are your thoughts on the feasibility of, of that plan coming to fruition? First off, I love it. Beggars can't be choosers, right? So I'm not going to criticize any plan that gets baseball back on the field. No, first and foremost, if you're going to play an 80 to 100 game season, you have to think of travel and travel is going to need to be compressed. And I think by breaking teams out into three 10 team divisions, I think you do that. Also, I think it's good for the players if they eventually come back to the home ballpark so they won't have to quarantine and be away from and the families. I think it puts a premium on every single game, and I like it from the standpoint, Mark, where you're focusing on geography and you're creating rivalries which may not have existed before. I think some teams will have a tougher time than others going to different divisions where they would have had an opportunity to make the playoffs and Know, divisions that they're currently in in the American and National League. But I'll tell you this, I was reading a good piece Bob Nightingale you know, wrote about this after he broke the story or one of the potential stories about baseball's plan the other day. I wouldn't put an asterisk to anybody that wins the World Series this year. I think given what these teams have been through emotionally and physically starting spring training, stopping spring training, adapting the potential plans, I, I think that you can definitely look at a potential champion this year and remove the asterisk. I think 100 games and a potential expanded playoff is certainly more than enough to take the asterisk out of my mind, and whoever will win the World Series this year will certainly have earned it. Yeah, I don't need to remind you that the Rangers won their first Stanley Cup since 1940, uh, back in 1994, after playing a full season, and the year after that, there was a stoppage. They only played 48 games, and the Devils won the Cup, and I have a buddy um, who's a huge Rangers fan who always busts my chops that the Devils, you know, won in a shortened season. But I remind him that the Stanley Cup the Devils won in 95 is the same size as the Cup the Rangers won uh, in 94. So as far as the asterisk goes, no, I don't think there should be. Um, I did want to ask you, the Hall of Fame announced yesterday that this summer's induction ceremony, and, and probably wisely, has been canceled. I know you're a big Jeter guy. Um, how disappointed are you that he won't be able to go in this summer and now he'll have to go in with, you know, perhaps, you know, some other huge names in 2021? It would have been nice to see it. I'm not overly disappointed. I think it's a very smart move. And I'll tell you why. Being with the Boulders, handling business development and picnics and events, there's a lot that goes into an event of that undertaking. I think it would have been easy to push it back a few months and start it in September, but what happens if you're not able to do it in September? I think by this time next year, we all pretty much agree, or at least by June or July of next 
next year. We all pretty much agree that if there's a vaccine that's out, well, the world can have some semblance of normalcy and get back out and be in situations where people can congregate together. So I actually think pushing it back to next year is a smart move. It's it's a frustrating move for people that wanted to go up there, but it's just to me this year, an event like that with all the people that flood Cooperstown, it just it wouldn't have been logistically possible in my mind. So I think pushing it back one year was the right decision. All right. And as far as, you know, we talked about the major league teams playing in what would essentially be, if not spring training sites, then neutral sites. Um, and obviously with no fans in all likelihood to start the season if they do go in late June or early July. As a director of business development for a minor league team, you tell me, but it just seems to me that the chance of having a minor league season without fans isn't really doable, is it? It's hard in the sense that when you open the gates, you count on so many revenue streams, you know, whether it's from the team store, whether it's from concessions, um, whether it's luxury suites. I, I really think when you're in the minor leagues, and I'm not trying to speak for minor league baseball, we're not affiliated, we're independent. But I think from a minor league baseball standpoint, you need to have some level of capacity in terms of fans, whether it's 25%, whether it's 50%. And I think those are all the things that we're looking at with the 13 other teams in the Frontier League right now. So I would seem to think that if we do play this year, that you'd have some level of attendance by fans in the ballpark. I think it's very tough for a minor league baseball team who relies on season ticket sales and relies on group sales and walk-up ticket sales you know, for their revenue streams and to pay their employees to just open the gates. I could be wrong. You know, if that's the only option, I certainly hope I'm wrong. But based on everything that I've seen over the years, those are the revenue streams that you really count on. All right. So the update here in Jersey the last couple of days is state parks will be opening come Saturday morning. The golf courses will have an option to open come Saturday morning. And some of the county and local parks will be opening on Saturday. And as luck would have it, we're expecting terrific weather. So I'll see you and the family at Vanson. Sounds good to me. I don't think you and I will be playing tennis quite yet. You know, I was actually, so I'm going to take a little detour very quickly because I know we're having a free-form conversation, but I do have a tennis background, Mark. When I was in high school, I was starving, starving for a varsity letter, right? I didn't make my junior high school varsity baseball team. I was running out of options by the time that I became a senior. So I... I thought I would just try out for the tennis team, the North Rockland tennis team. Wasn't really known for being very good. So I figured, okay, you know what, I'll try out for the tennis team, jump on there, get a varsity letter. As a senior, I didn't make the varsity tennis team. Huh. And I actually played on the junior varsity tennis team. And they felt bad for me at the end of the year, so they gave me a varsity letter. But if we do go to Vance on, I probably won't be playing you in tennis yet. Um, in terms of golf, though, I'm certainly up for nine holes in Orchard Hills over in Paramus if you want to get out and do that. Maybe we can set that up over the course of the next couple of weeks if the wives approve of that plan. Well, I've been playing golf for about 40 years, and I think I've told you this before. I am no better today than I was the day I started. Although, you and I did have an epic mini-golf showdown a couple of years ago at the ballpark. We did. We did. We have a nine-hole miniature golf course at Palisades Credit Union Park, and I got off to a good start against you. And once I hit the halfway point, probably the fourth or fifth hole, I completely unraveled, and you took me to school. So, Well, as, as a matter of fact, to... I have the scorecard in front of me here. <laughs> How uh, bad was it? Yeah, no. Well, you were one up. Uh, you stayed one up until the fifth hole. I caught you on the fifth. Then the sixth, I went one up. And on the ninth hole... Uh, two and one. 
Yeah, I just I think. Let me count. One up, one up, one up, one up. Yeah, that's four. Five, six, seven, eight. No, I went two and one on the eighth hole, so we we didn't play a ninth. I unwrapped. And then it poured. You remember that? It did rain. It was like Caddyshack. The skies got dark. Oh, it was brutal. I I choked just like the Knicks against Reggie Miller in 1995. (laughs) Oh, my. Hey, speaking of the Knicks, and again, we will get into the fun stuff in a sec, the reason we're having you on here play-by-play with me. Um, They announced Scott Perry's coming back for another season as general manager. And as um, Kenan Thompson's character sings on Saturday Night Live, and I will not sing, but what's up with that? I'm surprised. I'm incredibly surprised. And I actually walked into the bagel store today. Don't shame me, but I had a doctor's appointment. and I figured I was going to have to shower when I get home anyway, so I just walk into the bagel store and get some takeout. But I read a little bit more about that in the Daily News, and it seems as if Scott Perry has a close relationship with World Wide West, who knows Leon Rose very well from their CAA days. Right. And, you know, even though it's a one-year extension, my concern is because there was that rumor about Leon Rose potentially bringing in Carmelo Anthony before coronavirus stopped everything. My concern is Leon Rose hasn't formally talked to the media yet. You know, he's talking about bringing Carmelo Anthony into the Knicks, and I think Carmelo Anthony's best days are behind him, even though he averaged double digits for the Blazers. And, and now you keep Scott Perry. So I think Knicks fans are kind of wondering, are we going to have more of the same right now? Usually when you have a new president, a new staff, somebody leading the regime, they want to bring in their own people. I'm not sure Scott Perry would be at the top of that list in terms of if you're looking at talent and qualification. So I was kind of surprised by that move. But, you know, Leon Rose knows more about basketball than I do, so we'll see if it pans out. But I think the key here is one-year extension, so if things don't go as well as planned, you know, perhaps he gets shown the door some point next year. Yeah, I'm just beyond stunned that they would go down that road. But, you know, maybe the other part of the equation is why bring somebody new in if there's not going to be a season or there's going to be an abbreviated season. We really don't know what's going to happen yet. Um, All right, let's get to the fun stuff if we can. Seth Cantor, veteran sports broadcaster, play-by-play guy, update anchor, talk show host, podcaster. How did it all get started for you? Well, when I was a kid, probably about seven, eight, nine years old, we didn't have cable when I was a kid. And listening to Marv, watching Marv every single night, wasn't really an option for me so what i would do is in my room i would sit in my room with a transistor radio and i would listen to mike green the great mike green call games on wfam when it was only 660 with walt clyde frazier and that's really when i fell in love with broadcasting and when i was able to watch the nba on nbc growing up we had those sunday games in the week and the knicks were on it when they were good i would turn down the volume and i would call the games and i still do that at 38 years old now i have to keep down keep it down a little bit more because of the baby sleeping upstairs but but that's really how i fell in love with it you know at 13 mark i knew that i wasn't going to be the center fielder for the yankees i retired from the haverstroll little league with one career home run although i wanted a second one i thought i had a second one but a ball got lost in the fog and the center fielder convinced the umpire that the ball bounced over the fence which it didn't which it it didn't do on a muddy warning track i would have retired with two career home runs from haverstroll little league so so i knew that i wasn't going to i knew i wasn't going to play sports professionally so for me the next logical plan was working in sports and how did i do that i became a sports editor of my high school paper the rambling raider we didn't have a radio station um just some tv so i did some tv and then i knew right away that i wanted to go to ithaca college i was a broadcast journalism major 
at Ithaca College, and I wanted the football job there right out of the gate. That was a big time hot shot job. You know, when you went to that school, I was in the Park School of Communications, but those are jobs that you didn't get until your junior or senior year. So I was on the air within a couple of weeks. I had a terrible on-air name. I ditched the name Cantor. I called myself Seth Brooks, which my friends made fun of me for to this day, at least on the music side of the fence. Huh. My first on-air shift was within about 10 days of going to school, and I was DJing for an adult contemporary station modeled after 95.5 WPLJ called 106 VIC. And while my friends were partying and doing kids did on Friday and Saturday nights, I was DJing, and they would prank call me and try to get on the air. <laughs> but eventually, because I said yes to that opportunity, yeah, I still remember what they said over the phone. I won't share that on our broadcast, but they gave me a very hard time. Um, you know, eventually, you know, in our sports department meetings, again, everybody wants a big time job. And that goes for people that are cool today. But I raised my hand. I said, yes, field hockey job, which involves setting up the RPU, the remote production unit, which I'd never done before. I had a day to study for field hockey, learn the players, learn the game, learn the rules, everything like that. And I raised my hand and I said, yes, for field hockey. I said, yes, for sports like women's lacrosse. And it's not to denigrate sports like that but you know what i think it helps you become a well-rounded broadcaster when you're in situations that you're uncomfortable with but you know saying yes to opportunities that you might not have necessarily envisioned and that opened the door for me to do basketball and football i'm really giving you my life story here but i became the sports director at ithaca college and i called football games for a couple of years and you know i knew from that point on that i wanted to be a broadcaster and it's taken a little while to reach the goals i've you know, set out for but but I've definitely been rewarded with some good opportunities over the years. What has been your favorite sport to call of all the ones you've had a chance to work? Yeah, I've always loved basketball. I've always loved basketball. You know, I take after my mom in the sense that I love to talk. My mom is very high energy <laughs> and she could hold up a conversation with anybody. And I'm not quite to that degree, but basketball is back and forth. And having listened to legendary announcers like Marv Albert over the years and you know, being in a market where I could hear Mike Breen on the radio and you know, other terrific basketball announcers. And for me, basketball basketball has always been my number one just because of the pace of the game and the challenge of weaving the description in. You know, I go to the Vince Scully School of Broadcasting, the Howie Rose School of Broadcasting, where you really find a way to connect with your audience in terms of descriptiveness, tempo, pacing. And I find that a challenge in basketball in a positive way. So I always challenge myself to keep up with the momentum of the game, yet be descriptive enough for my audience where you know, they can really get a sense of what the picture's like by listening to me. So your dream job is replacing Ed Cohen on Knicks Radio? <laughs> you know what? Listen, I, I went to school with Ed. Uh, Ed's a terrific broadcaster. He was a couple of years behind me at Ithaca, but we all knew that he was destined for great things. But my dream job was always to be an NBA broadcaster, even if it was out in Seattle. So maybe I'll have that opportunity one day if the Seattle team comes back. But, you know, regardless of where that opportunity might lie, I would certainly not say no. But that's going to be the Knicks voice for years. He's just a terrific broadcaster, a super humble guy. And I'm very happy that he got that opportunity. And a future guest of this show. Ed, if you're listening, I know you got a new baby at home, but uh, we have to work in something around nap time in the very... Uh the very near future. Um, speaking of Ed and Ithaca, you know, Fordham, Syracuse, Hofstra, generally regarded as the big three in yep. this area anyway. But Ithaca has come up in the home stretch out of nowhere. 
How did this happen? Well, I think, you know, I think one of the things that really got me going with Ithaca was the fact that you could be on air right away get that experience right away there are other schools where it takes a little bit of time and you have to earn your keep and i'm certainly for that and when i have interns that work with me with the boulders and i've been in other situations where i've worked with interns you know you have to work hard to get to the point where you can be on air but i think the good thing about it to get college mark is the fact that you're able to get on air right away even if it's not doing exactly what you want to do if it's not baseball if it's not basketball if it's not football you get the reps and Ithaca is close enough to the New York metropolitan area where it catches the eye of you know, a lot of rising broadcasters. I think with Ithaca, it all starts with Bruce Beck. You know, Bruce Beck is a tremendous broadcaster who's obviously been a fixture at NBC for years. And, you know, the people that I went to school with, um, Ed Cohen, Brendan Burke, you know, I went to school with a lot of guys now who are really making their way you know, throughout Ithaca, Brendan Fitzgerald, who does work on ESPN. He's another one. There's so many names right now that I'm not even bringing up. John Rothstein, who's an insider for you know, CBS Sports, great college basketball insider. So I think it's a few things. I think Ithaca gives you the opportunity to get on air right away, and it's close enough to the New York metropolitan area where you have people who have been exposed to so many great broadcasters over the years, and those people want to follow in those footsteps. So I think that's really the recipe. And Ithaca has really turned out a great presence in the New York market. When I look at people like Ed and Brendan Burke, they've really paved the way you know for people like me who've been able to open up some more doors you know for people in the next generation of broadcasters who really want to make some hay in this industry in this area what's the best piece of advice you have been given and then part two is what's the best advice you would give to an up-and-coming sports broadcaster the best piece of advice that i've been given say yes to everything say yes to everything and I think it served me well at Ithaca when I raised my hand, even though I'd never DJed for an adult contemporary radio station before. And I'd never called field hockey or women's lacrosse before. Or even a few years ago when I got asked to do an Army-Navy wrestling match, knew nothing about wrestling. But my friend Rich DeMarco at Army, great broadcaster uh, for football and basketball and baseball teams, asked me to do Army-Navy wrestling a day before on their stream. You know what? I said yes, because I knew that could lead me to other opportunities. And I was able to cover their women's basketball team because of that. So I would say, raise your hand and say yes to everything. You know, the things I did at Ithaca College, not even on air, Mark, but behind the scenes, technically speaking, whether it was my year as a technical director, setting up equipment. Um, I still do that today. You need to know all these things to be able to get your sports cast on the air today. So raise your hand and say yes, more than anything else. And then what I would also tell people is don't take rejection personally. You know, I'll give you a couple of stories. Um, first and foremost, I started out as a broadcaster for the United States Merchant Marine Academy, one of the five federal service academies. They kind of fly under the radar because of Army, Navy, Coast Guard, um, Air Force. But they're a federal service academy, and they are right in our own backyard. And they are in our own backyard. And I call games with Ray Martell, who I've stayed friends with to this day. And I knew that I wanted to be a Division One broadcaster. I think anybody that is a broadcaster in the New York metropolitan area that's just starting out with a Division Three school, they want to get to Division One. And I remember after about five, six, seven years at the Merchant Marine Academy, I sent out emails to about 30 schools, 30 schools. I wanted to be their basketball announcer. And one got back to me. And that one was St. Francis College in Brooklyn. And St. Francis College in Brooklyn 
is the smallest Division One school, but they're a Division One school just like anybody else. I got to call games at Illinois. I got to call games at Syracuse. And once you're in that Division One platform, you're a Division One broadcaster like anybody else. So out of those 30 schools, St. Francis College was the one that got back to me. And I carried that job with a lot of pride. I know you're doing that right now. So that's one of the things I would say. I would also say, you know, I never envisioned being an anchor. For me, play-by-play -play was always the road that I wanted to go. My dream was always to be a Division One play-by-play broadcaster. But you know, some doors were opened for me over the years. You know, you got me an opportunity to interview, but you didn't hand me the job. Nope. See, a lot of folks think that. A lot of folks seem to think today that, well, just you're entitled to be a big-time talk show host or a big-time sports anchor right away. You have to work to get there. I'd never really thought of being an anchor until you opened up an opportunity for me to interview with Total Traffic, and I went through a very rigorous process like everybody else, and I eventually did get the job and started anchoring on Bloomberg, and I did nights, and I did weekends, and I started working on WCBS 880, and that led to me working over at Edercom and WFAN and other stations as well. You know, just be flexible and say yes to things that that you might not necessarily be comfortable with. But not only that, don't take the rejection personally. Don't take the rejection personally. People, I approach sales like this, and I think it's helped me in broadcasting and vice versa. You know, if you're talking to somebody, if you're reaching out to somebody about a potential job opportunity, they have a hundred things to do over the course of the day, and you're number one hundred and one. So if somebody doesn't respond to you after one or two opportunities, stay on them. Keep sending emails. Follow up with a phone call here and there if need be. But if somebody doesn't respond to you, don't necessarily take that as you not being a good broadcaster. Just it's a numbers game, and you got to reach out to as many people as you can. And I figured after about 10, 12 years continuing to network and you know growth your relationships like I have with you and so many other people in the New York metropolitan area, you know, opportunities like that come up to people who put in the time and work hard. Yeah, I always tell people, be persistent. Don't be a stalker. Yeah. There is there is a line. It's not a very thin line either, but, you know, it does help and it shows people that you're serious too if you stay on them uh, to a certain degree. In fact, the first job I ever got out of college um, wasn't the job I wanted, but the person that I was pursuing work from actually recommended me for another position at a station I had never heard of. And that worked out pretty well for me. Um, so it happens, you know, you don't always get to do what you want to do. I wanted to be Bob Murphy when I was a kid. And then when I found out, you know, after I graduated from Hofstra, how much minor league ball paid, I said, well, let's see, I've got 10 years to pay back loans. And at the rate you're going to pay me to work minor league games, I'm going to need about 107 years so you take a detour if you have to and uh you know listen opportunity knocked uh, years after i was hoping it would but yeah you talk about doing baseball i mean here i am you know you and i get to work together uh, you know a good chunk of the time for the last several years uh, with the boulders up in pomona and uh, mm -hmm. you know we have opened doors for each other and that really is how the business works if you're it, doing it right it is it is and you know i'll I think the turning point mark in my career was I was told that I was going to plateau and not get past a certain point, and I probably needed to think about my future in radio. And when that happened to me, obviously you're crushed because you think of it as a personal attack. But I stepped out of the situation, and I did two things. I looked at what I was doing and what I was not doing. I said, A, I need to get better. I obviously need to get better because I'm not getting the attention of a major market program director. 
So I hired a coach and I work with this coach every two weeks. You know, when your family and your friends listen to you on the radio, they'll tell you right away, oh, I heard you. It's a great job. I'll still get emails from my mom. I'm 38 years old. My mom's in her mid 70s. She'll listen to my serious reports. She'll say great job. But, you know, I'm my own worst critic. I appreciate that. But, you know, the feedback that you get from family and friends is more out of support. And I have a friend that was driving along I-95 and I was doing a report on satellite radio. And they're like, oh, my God, there's Seth. And his kids were in the car. And that's awesome. I love that. But instead of having people tell you what you want to hear, you need to have people tell you what you need to hear. Right. And so I hired a coach. His name is David Brody. I've worked with him for several years now. And I really give him a lot of credit in terms of turning my broadcast career around. And then what I've also decided to do is I've also decided to market myself better too. You know, you remembered this, you know, having gone to Hofstra when you were sending out demo reels, you were putting a hundred cassette tapes in the mail. It was a very expensive proposition. You know, now it's as easy as just having your own website and having a link that you can send out. So I've spent right. some money. I've always looked at these expenditures as investments in myself, hiring the coach who I do pay every two weeks and having the website, which I did pay to get started. I've looked at things like this as investments in myself and having a website that I can easily send out to people with potential program directors, like I did you know, with Sirius when I was applying over there, you know, like I did at Edercom you know, when I was applying over there. Having that has made my life easier and I've been able to market myself better. So the two biggest things that I really focused on, A, coaching, having somebody tell me what I need to hear and being able to circulate my materials, uh, my work in an easy and efficient way for people on the other side of the desk to listen to and look at very, very quickly, because it's true. They only have a minute. If you make a bad first impression, it's going to hurt your opportunities to get work. Right. Well, we call the show play by play with me. And obviously a big part of it is the play by play component. And when you send this link out, uh, what is the number one play by play highlight that leads the show off? Oh, the boulders winning the Can-Am League Championship in 2014. You know, not everybody has an opportunity to call a championship. And that's a moment that I hold very near and dear to my heart. They had some great games. And, you know, that was just, that was a great series against the New Jersey Jackals on local rivalry, kind of like the Yankees and Mets of the Can-Am League. So anytime you call a championship, that's a special moment. And the Boulders have won some big playoff games over the years. But, you know, having an opportunity as a member of an organization to wear a championship ring, that's a moment that I'll hold dear and dear to my heart for a very long time. So that would be front and center. Now, if memory serves, they had trailed the previous series, right? Were they down two zip in a best of five? Or were they? So, so Remind the, me. Worked, the top two teams that year went straight to the k League Championship okay. Series. So usually in the Canyon League, what it's been is you'd have the top four teams. One would play four, two would play three in the semifinals, the best right. of five. But the way it worked that year is we had fewer teams in the league. The top two teams just went straight to a best of seven Canyon League championship series. So the Boulders actually trailed that series 0-2. And they came home. They played three straight games at home, won all three, and then came back and had won game six in New Jersey. Very close game. Um and took the championship series, and that was a night that I'll always remember. But there has been others. There have have been. There has been at least one other series in a best of five where they were down two, and wound up winning the next three. Yeah, there have been. There have okay. been quite a few. They had an incredible run with Jamie Keefe, who was their manager for several years, and now is the manager of the High Point Rockers down in the Atlantic League. But they've had walk-offs that have sent them the championship series. So. 
it's been a team, especially being so close to the New York City market, that's caught the attention of a lot of people. And, you know, the league that they're in now, the Frontier League, the Can-Am League, it's legitimate professional baseball. You know, people ask, is it a wooden bat league? Is it a college league? No, I mean, you come to the ballpark, you come to Palisades Credit Union Park, and you see the boulders, you're going to see a double-A level type of game. And it is a beautiful ball. I mean, I've been, you know, all over the country to major league stadiums and a ton of minor league parks. And, and I'm not just saying this because they sign a check for me every once in a while. <laughs> this is legitimately one of the crown jewels of sub major league baseball. It is, it is, you know, it's a beautiful ballpark. It's a $60 million ballpark and it's got everything for families. You know, we do these fan surveys every year, Mark, being in corporate sales. It's important for me to know what our sponsors and our fans are thinking. We do these, fan surveys every year and this is where i'm torn because i'm a baseball fan and i want to see good baseball i broadcast the games and you want a good product on the field every single night but we do these fan surveys every year and 70 percent of the people tell us they don't care whether or not the boulders win or lose and that's just amazing to huh. me i've always been at the mindset you're close to new york city you want to churn out a good product people here know their sports they know their baseball but people are coming for everything else you know it's almost a release for the parents they bring the kids to a safe environment you have this wraparound concourse the ballpark is completely enclosed you have a train that takes the kids and their parents around the ballpark you have a playground out in right field you know i'm doing a promotional piece for the new york mini golf right now mini golf miniature golf as well <laughs> nine pole miniature golf course you know players sign autographs for the kids before and after the game the clubhouse is actually above ground so the players have to walk through the stands to get onto the field and back through the stands to get into the clubhouse. So the players are great. They sign autographs for the kids um, before and after the game. So what we're trying to do and what we've tried to do since day one, we're celebrating our 10th year. If we do play this year, we're trying to bring that all American baseball experience back to life. And I think having a ballpark like this has certainly helped us do that. All right. Catch me up. We're doing an all time team vote. So I know Marcus Snyder was voted uh, the all-time Boulders catcher. Yes. I don't know Marcus who else Snyder. it possibly could have been. Um, I saw Salazar, right? Rich Salazar? Rich Salazar and Bo Budkovics. No surprises there. They catapulted that 2014 team to the championship. And those are two guys that elevated their games in very important moments and were a big part of the playoff runs. You know, the impressive thing about Salazar when I first saw Salazar come to the Boulders, he spent a lot of years in the Baltimore Orioles organization. He made it as high as AAA. You know, these are guys that almost got to the major leagues. I saw Salazar, and Salazar didn't get his fastball up above about 85 miles an hour. He was very crafty, you know, right. typical crafting lefty, threw a lot of junk, and I said to myself, there's no way this guy makes it here a week. But I saw him back in 2014, <laughs> and now he's one of the best pitchers, so it shows you what I know, but – you know, he's almost the lefty version of Greg Maddox, I would say. So uh, Salazar was a fan favorite very quickly. Bo Budkovich, who had the best nickname in the book, Big Game Bo, won the clinching game, game six of the 2014 right. Can-Am League Championship, um, and then, you know, pitched well in other playoff games. So Sally and Bo, and this week we're voting for the closers right now. It looks like we're going to have a very tight vote uh, based from everything that I'm hearing, some names that are on there. Adrian Martin, who was a closer for the Boulders, in our first two years, now he's a pitching coach in the Cardinals organization. Hector Nello, another name. Kevin Fuqua, Chad Robinson, 
who is the Boulder's closer on the 2014 championship team. So you know, what I do every Friday morning is I reveal that vote on Facebook Live. And you know, so far, three for three, we've had three winners, and I've been able to interview all three. And it's kind of like a mini version of an NCAA selection show. So things like that have helped keep me busy during a time all right. like this as well. And inevitably, we're going to get to the outfield. And I would be beyond shocked if Stephen Cardulo, the first and so far only Boulder to make it to the major leagues isn't at the top of the vote for the outfield. Um, you got to see Stephen Cardulo from start to finish as a Boulder. Did you have any idea that he would someday make it to the Colorado Rockies? No, not at all. And that's a great story. I'll tell you why he was a walk on at Florida state and he battled his way through the minor leagues. And when he came to the boulders, his first year, you know, he was a good player, but you didn't get the sense that he'd be a big-time contributor. But this is a guy, and I started to see this when I would leave the ballpark at 11, 30, 12 o'clock every single night at the end of the 16, 17-hour day. He was in our above-ground batting cage, and he was taking swings with his father in the batting cage. And, you know, we all know the life of athletes, not all of them, but, you know, you want to go blow off some steam after the game. Not Steven. I mean, seven nights a week, he would be in there with his father, and he would take swings in our batting cage. And you got the sense that, you know, with his second year, he started to put up some big time numbers. You didn't know if he would be on the downside in terms of being a little bit older and not really being an attractive part of a major league organization. But you know what, after a little bit of time, he got signed by the Rockies, made it up to the big club. I believe he actually hit a home run on his birthday, had a great spring training the following year. And the poor guy actually broke his hand in spring training, but battled back and got pretty high up in the minor leagues with Colorado again. So talk about a story of perseverance and, and not letting a, you know, not letting rejection get to you. There's a guy that was a walk on at a pretty darn good baseball school and had to battle his way through the minor leagues. And, you know, he was the Boulder's first and only major leaguer right now. Yeah, it's a great story. And there will be more. There will be more. I've, I've seen the talent over the years. There, there absolutely will be more. And it seems that every year, somebody comes through who winds up getting plucked into organized ball just like Dulo did. And, you know, he will soon have company. Well, I'll say this. I think, you know, one of the differences with the Frontier League, I think you and I saw it in the All-Star game, but it's not to denigrate the Can-Am League at all. But we had the Can-Am League Frontier League All-Star game, which our boss Sean Riley was an instrumental part of putting together last year, Palisades Credit Union Park. Um, you know, we saw the Frontier League last year, and I think one of the comments you and I made you know, right from the get-go was that the Can-Am League, when they were batting, they were behind almost every single Frontier League pitch. And these guys were hitting 97, 98 on the gun. The Can-Am League guys were no slouches. You know, they were throwing 92, 93, 94. But I think we marveled at the fact that the Frontier League guys, you know, they looked like they were very close to being major league ready. So I think by being in the Frontier League now, I think there's an opportunity for more guys to get that major league exposure, especially being so close to New York City. And I also think, you know, the other part of the Frontier League, which I didn't mention, Mark, was the fact that, you know, there's an age restriction, there's an age limit. So um, you're getting a lot of guys who are on their way up, who are climbing the ladder, whether they're out of college, whether they're caught up in a numbers game and released by affiliated clubs in the major league. So, you know, you're getting guys who are on the rise and being so close to the New York metropolitan area. I think there's a very good opportunity for the frontier league. Who's put more than 40, 50 guys into the major leagues and more than a thousand players into the major league farm clubs. I think that opportunity is definitely going to be there. 
I just hope we get to see it this summer. Me too. You and me both. I, I think like the rest of the world, we're waiting right now. I think everybody's kind of taking their cues from the major leagues and, and seeing what the major leagues are going to do. I will say this, you know, I do think in terms of starting up you know, the minor leagues, you know, a league like ours, we don't have to go through everything that the major leagues have. We don't have to mobilize as much in terms of travel. Uh, you don't have to have a three, four week spring training. I think the major, I think our league can probably get up and running fairly quickly. I just think the decision needs to be made is can we put fans in the ballpark more than right. anything else. Right. Um, last thing, as we wrap up on play by play with me, you have a two year old daughter mm. who undoubtedly is starting to get into board games. Yes. What's, uh, what's her number one? What's your number one? So I'll go with my number one first. My wife and I, Tammy, we actually played a two hour game of Monopoly the other night. Two-hour game of Monopoly, which, from what I understand, is actually on the lighter side. You could play yeah. Monopoly all night. So we ended. It, we ended. Uh, Tammy and I finished the game. We called it a draw because what happened was, she actually she bought too many houses and hotels. She got a little greedy, and then she got a chance card that said she had to pay uh, repairs on all those houses oh, and hotels. Ouch. So we ended up, yeah. And by the time that she and I did the math and decided what she could trade in for money, um, we just decided to call it a drive for two hours. <laughs> we were both tired. So I actually went to a local toy store in Wyckoff, New Jersey. Uh, it's called Tons of Toys the other day, and I wanted to get Monopoly for the two of us. And it's given us a good opportunity, a chance to reconnect being at home like this. So so for that, you know, I would say our board game is Monopoly um, for Ella. She hasn't really gotten into board games yet. She's more playing on the iPad and trying to pry the iPad away from her right oh, now. Okay. Uh, when it's time to take a nap or eat can be a very difficult task. But I say we'll probably ease her into it. And I would say Candyland would probably be the first choice. I think Candyland would be would be a good game for her given where her interests lie right now. Right, right. What's her game on the iPad? Uh, it's just toddler puzzle games more than anything else. I really don't know any of the names of them. She and I took turns this morning. We were coloring in different animals like foxes and sheep and you know, putting them together like pieces of the puzzle. Um, so she's playing toddler games, but it's really impressive. I mean, you know, all I have to do is open up the folder where it has all the games. She knows exactly which game she wants to play. Wow. She presses the button and then she dives into the game for a half an hour. It keeps her occupied and at the same time, you know, it allows me to do some things that I need to do to catch up with the boulders and do some radio work and set up my podcast for the night. So so she knows her way around an iPad. Um, she's a two-and-a-half-year-old right now, and she's putting words together and sentences. And you know what? She's growing up right before our eyes. So I think we've been fortunate in the sense that although it's been a negative situation outside, we're able to see our daughter grow up, and that's been a very good part about all of this. Yeah, I wanted to ask you about that because you and Tammy generally are working regularly, full-time gigs, full-time hours at least. And so she doesn't see you guys around very much, but for the last seven weeks, it's been all mommy and daddy all the time. How has she handled that? I think she's handled it pretty well. You know, she wants her mommy. All two-year-old girls want their mommy, obviously. But uh, I feel she's adjusted to it. She's adjusted. She said a couple of days ago, I miss my friends. I think she knows that something's up, although she doesn't know what it is. You know, it's funny. You know, when we want to take her in the car and go out for a ride, she doesn't want to go outside. So I think she's on to the fact that something's huh. going on out there. We tell her that she hasn't been able to go to school because people have the yuckies outside that we don't want to get her sick but mm -hmm. you know she's adapted to it very well i think uh we've tried to keep a routine 
Tammy, the teacher, does her ABCs and one, two, threes with her in the morning. You know, I do some activities with her myself. I've tried my hand at arts and crafts. My brain just isn't wired that way. Three things my brain hasn't been wired for, math, science, and arts and crafts. But you know what? We've tried to do some arts and crafts. You know, I try to contribute and, and give her lunch when I can and give her dinner and spend time with her in the afternoon. We actually set up the Wii in the living room. We have three different video game systems. and She likes to pretend bowl on the Wii and play baseball. She loves baseball, by the way. All she says is Boulder Bird. I'm and shocked. Oh, she loves coming to Boulder's games. So, you know, hopefully, hopefully, although I'm going to give her her choice of which team she could root for. One of my good friends got her a Mets jacket, and I put a Mets jacket and a Yankees jacket down, and she chose the Mets jacket, and I got ripped for it on Facebook. But I'm going to give her freedom to root for any team she wants to, of course, you know, the Red Sox notwithstanding. But Well, I think even Yankee fans would admit the Mets color scheme is a little bit more attractive, especially to young kids. I, I think so. I think so from a kid's standpoint. But, yeah, we're just trying to keep her in a routine, and she's been good. Um, you know, you, they say that emotionally kids kind of regress through this and become a little more clingy, but I think that's typical with all kids. But I think, you know, what we've really been able to see over the last two months is she's putting words and sentences together. And I can only hope she ends up in TV, unlike me, who's in radio. I don't know, I'm just joking. I love radio. <laughs> but, you know, what if she could end up on TV, I think she'd have a pretty good career for herself. Well, she needs an agent. By the time she's ready, I think uh, I'll be certified. If you know anybody, if hey. If not certifiable. <laughs> you and me both. You and me both. Oh, my goodness. Well, I'm glad we had a chance to catch up, and I'm glad things are well and, uh, you know, as, as well at least as, as we could expect or hope for. And uh, I meant it when I said it before. You know, Saturday the parks open up, and uh, I hope I see you. I will be wearing a mask and gloves, though. I can promise you that. Count me in. You know, I've had some trouble with these masks, so... Go. I put them over my face, either they're inside out or I put them on and the ropes actually snap. I think it's because I have one of those seven and five eighths shaped heads. Mm -hmm. And for those who are into mm -hmm. fitted hats, they know that's a very big hat to wear. So I might have to you know, look for some masks that are a little bit more user friendly in terms of those of us with big heads. Well, I'm so, going to have to stay yeah. away from your daughter because I have a Winnie the Pooh mask that I wear. Oh boy, She's going to oh, want boy. it and I, I can't let her have it. Um, <laughs> I, I almost forgot, and it has nothing to do with the size of your head. But uh, you had mentioned back in the early days of your career at Ithaca that you were a DJ on an adult contemporary station. And uh, I want to take you back to IC um, for my final two questions. Number one, do you remember what the first song was that you played on the air? Uh, Edwin McCain, I'll Be. Ah! Ah! And I think, I think the that's one our song, that not you and I, but was... my wife and me that's is that right that's our song in fact he, right, he had Hopefully done a mini be... concert at shea or maybe it was city but after a mets game he had done a mini concert and i was going to try and get him to record a version of that for us for our wedding and i never was able to connect with him but uh yeah that's a that's a good one edwin mccain albeit at another one that i remember from the first couple of shows vertical horizon everything you want and filter take a picture nice okay so those are the ones, but I ended up on the modern rock station and my friends told me, my friends in the radio world told me Seth Brooks isn't going to do for modern rock. So you know, one of my friends who I hosted a show with a countdown to the weekend came to me and said, all right, well, you like to eat. So we're going to call you steak and you're a big guy. You're as big as a house. So we're going to call you house. So my DJ name on WICB, the modern rock station ended up being steakhouse. See, this and, is where I was going next. I'm yeah. so glad you read my mind steakhouse and that was too long for my friends in the dorm over in emerson hall 
and the circles where I left. So my roommate, who I'm friends with to this day, Dan Buckman, just decided to call me Beef. So my friends off the air have called me Beef to this day. Okay. <laughs> now we know the story. It's, I feel like, uh, I feel like um, uh, what's his name? Uh, um, wow. I was going to say Andy Rooney, but not Andy Rooney. Uh, the other guy from Chicago. Um, um, yeah. I'll think of it. But he was the one that said, now you know the rest of the story. Paul, um, somebody help. It's just you and me. Somebody help. Paul Harvey, thank you. Paul Harvey. I live a very sheltered I live a very sheltered life, so I'm not sure if I'm the one that you should ask me. But that's it. But now you know the rest of the story. Hey, Steakhouse on WICB. Well, Steak, I'm glad we had a chance to do this. Beef, what do I... I can't call you Seth ever again. <laughs> when you and I do a Boulders broadcast, I guess, yeah, a Steakhouse it is. <laughs> In all seriousness, I hope I do see you on Saturday, uh, weather permitting and uh, conditions permitting, and I, I appreciate you doing this. It's been a lot of fun. Absolutely. I've listened to a few before, with especially with Kevin Burkhart, and I like that you're doing it. I like the roads that you take, and... I think it's a good behind the scenes look at some some pretty good folks and i'm just fortunate to be at a group that includes people you've interviewed like kevin burkhardt so thank you for the opportunity to get on here and chat with you mark i appreciate it that's seth Cantor. i'm mark Day. hey seth beef thanks for stopping by to play by play with me my pleasure